It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show Podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 4th of August. Good morning, with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. As we go into the long weekend, motorists are being called on to think road safety. In the first six months of this year, there's been a 10% rise in fatalities on the same time last year. In fact, this is the worst year for deaths on our roads in the last six years. The message is simple. It never changes. Don't speed. Wear your seatbelt. Expect the unexpected and never drink and drive. Alex Ainsworth is uh, the Digital Media and Communications Officer with Drink Aware. And a very good morning to you, Alex. Uh, and thanks indeed uh, for joining us on the programme uh, this morning. That's not just the message, but it's a message that most people agree with. In fact, 87% of people believe you should never drink and drive. Good morning, Michael. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, you're absolutely right. 87% of the public do agree that any amount of alcohol impairs your ability to drive. Unfortunately, we do see at bank holidays a rise in fatalities and road accidents. Um, And this simply just needs to stop. You know, drink driving is preventable. And our main message throughout this bank holiday weekend and every bank holiday weekend to come is learn what a standard drink is. So a standard drink is half a pint of beer or it's 35.5 mils of beer or it's 100 mils of wine. Use our drinks calculator at drinkaware.ie. This will give you an estimated time of how long it'll take your body to process the alcohol that you consumed the night before. Also, remember that it takes one hour to process one standard drink. So a lot of people don't know that one pint is actually two standard drinks. So if you're having a pint, it's going to take mm. you two hours to process that drink. Right. So just don't get into the car the next morning is, is also one of the big ones. You know, plan mm. a safe route home, plan a safe route the next day, use your trains, use your buses, use a taxi, ask for a lift. I take it there's a, a lot of people who, who don't think about it the morning after who would tell you that they'd never get into a car with drink on them. Uh, but uh, when they have drink on them, uh, may be unknown to them. And I think that's the point that you're making. And uh, a, a standard drink is half a pint. So mm-hmm. if it, it takes an hour for a standard drink to leave your system. Uh, when would you be safe to drive if you had four or five pints or ten pints for that matter? 
So, well, as you said, 10 pints there. I don't recommend anyone to drink 10 pints. That's actually 20 standard drinks. So that's going to take your body 20 hours to process. You know, and that's also going over binge drinking. Binge drinking is having six or more standard drinks in one sitting. So three pints is actually binge drinking. So please don't have 10 pints in one sitting. That's, twen- that's 20 hours of your time that'll take um, and it's just not good for your body. Um, you can find out all this information mm. through e as well. If you're interested in it, especially your drinks calculator, you can put in um, the amount that you have drank the night before and that will give your body an estimated time of how long it'll take to process that. Okay. You know, if you finish drinking at midnight and you've had three pints, it's going to take your body six hours to process that. So the absolute earliest you could get into a car is mm. 6 a.m. Well, you also have to remember that... Will it though? I mean, what if I started drinking at, at 8 o'clock? Um, I mean, surely mm-hmm. after the first two hours, the first pint is gone. So at 10 o'clock, um, you know, uh, if I've only had one pint, um, I'm safe to drive, am I not? No, so, you know, a lot of people do ask this question. They think if you, you know, you start drinking at eight o'clock and you finish maybe at midnight and you've had one or two, say, um, glass of wine, you have to remember that the time starts when you finish the last drink. And the reason for this, there's two reasons. One, it's the safest way to know how long it'll take your body to process um, the drinks. And also, when you drink, the alcohol levels in your body rise they can rise for up to three hours so it's safer to start and um, the clock when you finished your last drink mm. not after you finished your first drink or your second drink it's the safest way so when one hour to process one standard drink the time finishes when you finished your last drink okay that's being sure to be sure though is it well, that's, you know, that's not just to be sure, to be sure. Mm. I mean, yes, that is a big part of it, but also... But, uh, I mean, what you're saying is that if you had... A, but what you're saying is that if you had a, a drink at 8 o'clock, you had five mm-hmm. drinks uh, and you finished at midnight, uh, that it would be 10 o'clock in the morning before the first drink you had has gone out of your system. Well, it also depends on what you're drinking. So, like we said, you know, a pint, we'll just say a pint, um, that's two standard drinks. And if you've had that at 8 o'clock... You know, and you've had the one the one pint that's two standard drinks, that'll take your body two hours to process. So that first drink technically isn't processed till ten PM that night if you've just had that one drink or that one pint. Um so it's the safest way, yes. Um, but also your alcohol levels can rise. And there's other factors that have to be taken into account as mm. well. You know, your weight, your gender, how much you've eaten, how much you've slept, um, the night before, the night the night um, you've had the drinks as well, your sleep can be disrupted. Yeah. You know, you have to be safe. There's just there's just no excuse to be getting into a car when you've had a few drinks. Uh, the night before, if you don't know how much you've drank, mm. you know, you have to at least try and track it. And you can use that with a drinks calculator, um, you know, and keep other road, road users safe and yourself safe as well. And that's really the main message that we want to get across is keep yourself safe, keep keep other road users safe. There's just no need for it. Okay, so just to understand, uh, mm-hmm. um, pint is two uh, standard drinks. Yeah. A, a glass of wine is a standard drink, uh, but uh, to understand that, you need to consider that there's seven glasses of wine in a bottle uh, and um, that uh, it's not one of uh, those glasses <laughs> that people pour for themselves uh, that's half a bottle of wine. So it, it's uh, a bottle of wine is uh, seven 
measures uh, as such uh, and uh, a standard measure of spirits is one measure. Um, what about medication? If you're on medication, uh, does that change uh, in terms of how long it takes you to process the alcohol? Yeah, so, you know, if you take medications and, you know, lots of people do take medications, these can affect it as well. Just like I said, your sleep, how much you've eaten, there's so many different factors. And it's really important to remember when I say it takes at least one hour, that's one hour minimum for absolutely everybody and the minimum. So it could take your body longer and you yourself know that if you take medications, if you haven't slept, if you haven't eaten properly, you know, it may take your body much longer to process. Um, so it's just safer not to get into the car the next day after you've had a few drinks. Mm. That's the minimum for everyone. Um, that is the minimum for everybody, yes, because there's so many different factors. From the most slightly built person to the biggest mm. burly person, a minimum of an hour per standard drink, per half a pint, per glass of wine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, the, it's, you know, it's the minimum amount of time, you know, the one hour you, you have to wait at least mm. one hour. But okay. it could take your body longer. You know, you, okay. if you're bigger, you might think that it, it might take your body less time. But it's one hour for you. And then if you're a smaller person as well, it's still one hour. Now, it might take your body longer to process, mm. but you yourself will know how long it'll take. And would you be over the drink driving limit? I mean, have you had a glass of wine or half a pint? Well, again, that also, like we have a lot of this information at drinkware.ie where it gives you the... Um, the drink driving, uh, the drinking, um, sorry, the, the limits um, mm. of the milligrams. So all of that is up on our website. Mm. But you'd probably be okay, would you? Drinking uh, half a pint of beer and uh, getting into the car or... Um, no, any amount of alcohol can impair your ability to drive. But no, but, uh, so but technically... one drink... But, but you would be technically legal, would you? Well, that it depends as well on how much you've had and what... Well, that's what I'm saying. If you had half a pint, let's say, and got into the car, you'd be technically legal, would you? Uh, technically, no. Even still, any amount of alcohol will impair your ability to drive. We don't recommend it. If you've had one drink, just don't get into the car. Right. Uh, and... If you've had five drinks, you finish at midnight, don't get into the car before 10 o'clock in the morning. Uh, if you finish at 2 o'clock in the morning, obviously 12 midday. Uh, mm-hmm. that, uh, if that is correct, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people will find it hard to believe because I think if it is correct, a lot of people are breaking the law on an ongoing basis. Yeah, so that's the thing. A lot of people don't really realise that, like I said, you know, a lot of people don't know what the... Um, what a standard drink is, only one in 10 people can correctly identify it. Um, And people don't also realise that driving the next morning is drink driving if the alcohol is still in your system. And you also have to remember that no amount of, you know, water that you drink, food that you've eaten, going for a shower, these are all myths. These aren't going to sober you up. The only thing that will sober you up is time. So it's really important that you track how much you've drank mm. um, and then you can make that informed decision knowing now what a standard drink is. But you'll, often, you'll often hear people say that, won't you? You know, I had a few drinks last night, but uh, I was up early, had a good breakfast, uh, a pot of coffee, and, uh, and I'm grand now. Yeah, you know, these things might make you feel better, but they're not processing the alcohol any faster. Um, only time will process the alcohol. So mm. all of these are met, you know, you hear common ones like the shower, like your pot of coffee. Mm. eating bread, going for a run. They're myths, they might make you feel better, but they're not processing the alcohol any faster. So 
of course you can do these things to make you feel better but don't get into a car they haven't processed the alcohol mm. and that's why we say use the drinks calculator Okay, what have you been drinking and doing a bit of cocaine or smoking weed? Uh, because all of that uh, seems to be very popular these days. So again, don't get into the car if you've been doing any of these things. I can't, I'm not a medical professional, but you know, I can't give advice about the different types of drugs. But obviously don't get into the car if you've been consuming alcohol and drugs the next day and also the night before. It's not worth it. Um keep yourself safe, keep other road users safe. There's just, drink driving is preventable. And the way we can do this is by informing ourselves and also not getting into the car the next day. Right. If you're stopped the morning after, uh, you'll be found over the limit, or at least that's the risk, is it? Uh, Because uh, we know, particularly, I think, on bank holiday weekends, uh, that there are morning guarded checkpoints. Yeah, so in different areas, there's different, you know, there can be different checkpoints and we see that over the bank holiday weekend, guards are there um, to do this, to help prevent drink driving and to keep road users safe. And we are really appreciative of, obviously, Angarda Shia for doing that. And unfortunately, we do see a huge rise in road accidents and people um, uh, driving under the influence of an intoxicant. Like I said, on the June mm. bank holiday, 160 people were arrested for driving under the influence of an intoxicant. And unfortunately, um, there was one fatal collision at that, at that uh, time, in that period, and 12 serious uh, collisions took place. And that ended up with 12 serious life-threatening injuries where these things can be prevented. Okay, what about a a breathalyzer? Uh, We've heard, uh, I think, in the last couple of years of people Mm -hmm. buying their own breathalyzers because they've been uh, afraid, particularly if uh, they're going to work the night after drinking, that they'd be stopped by the Mm -hmm. guards. Uh, And um, they're just making sure, if you like, uh, by testing themselves before they get into the car. What do you think of that? Is that a, a prudent thing for people to do? So, you know, the the breathalysers, we wouldn't say that these are, you know, they're not a bad thing. You can do these as well. You do also need to track how much you've drank as well to make an informed decision. Um, there's the the uh, home ones that you can get, the home breathalysers, you know, there's not enough evidence there to say that these are absolutely correct. You know, the guards have very specific ones um, that they use. You know, there's a lot more um data used for those and a lot more technology mm. on them more so than the ones you can buy at home. Can you get one as good as the guards have? I don't think you can. I wouldn't have that information to be perfectly honest. Mm. Would you encourage people to look for uh, stuff like that if uh, they uh, drink heavily normally? If they drink heavily normally, you know, the best thing to do is don't get into the car. You know, whether you use the breathalyzer or not, the safest thing you can do is don't get into the car the next day. So that's the choice. Is it either uh, drink and don't get into the car or don't drink if you want to get into the car? Well, you know, you can track how much you've drank using the drinks calculator on our website. Um, And as I said, that'll give you the estimated time and you can make that informed decision. But any amount of alcohol will impair your ability to drive. And there's so many other factors, like I said, Mm. how much you slept, how much you ate. And all of this is up on the Drinkware website where you can find... Um, a lot more of this in a bit more detail as well Um, but you know all of these like any amount of alcohol will impair your ability to drive and if you just feel unwell the next day or you're in any way unsure Mm. don't get into the car it's it's the it's 
the only way we can really help prevent drink driving. Don't mm. get into the car the next day. If you, feel, if you feel groggy, uh, don't get into the car. And I think a lot of people would say, I feel too groggy to get into the car. And I think that's uh, why quite often people say, well, look, I had a cold shower, felt terrible earlier and I feel yeah. grand now. Uh, but that's a psychological thing rather than a physical thing, is it? And the alcohol remains in your system. The alcohol remains in your system. Like, you know, a cold shower is not going to remove the alcohol from your system any faster. Eating your big fry up, going for your run, having your electrolytes, like your, you know, your energy drink. These things are going to make you feel better, but it's Mm. not going to process the alcohol any faster. All right. And what have we been out as a a group, a whole gang of us out, uh, till all hours drinking our hearts out uh, and we get up the next morning and one of the group is heading back home early. Uh, what should we do? Should we be worried about them? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, if you've been out the night before and you've had a few drinks um, and someone has decided to to get into the car the next day, it can be really tough to intervene. You know, you don't want to upset your friends, but at the same time, you know, always encourage them to knock it into the car. You know, I'm not saying snatch their keys off them, but encourage them to stay at home don't get into the car. It's not worth it, you know. And if they are getting into the car, you know, don't be afraid to call the guards to make sure that they are off the roads. I know call the guards the morning after. Oh, my God. Well, that that might be a really tough thing to do, but at the same time, you have to keep yourself safe and other road users safe. And the person who's gotten into the car is safe, you know. Mm. It might seem like a very drastic thing to do, which obviously it, it is, but at the same time, it is it's unsafe for a person to get into the car the next day after drinking okay. um, if they are over the limit. Would the guards respond? Would the guards respond? Uh, if I called uh, the guards um, tomorrow morning uh, and said, uh, I think so-and-so uh, might be over the limit because they were drinking last night, do you think the guards would come out? I think, you know, I obviously don't work for the guards, but I know they are working incredibly hard to help prevent um, drink driving. And I do think, and I have full faith in them, that they would come out if that was an issue when it comes to drink driving, because I know that Angarda Siakona also want to keep our roads safe, not just around bank holidays, but all the time. I do think that they would respond, yes. Okay, interesting stuff. we leave it there. Thank you indeed. Hope you have a safe and uh, enjoyable long weekend at that. And thank you indeed, uh, as I say, for joining us on the programme this morning. Alex Ainsworth is uh, the Digital Media and Communications Officer with Drink Aware. What do you think of that? You're welcome to let us know. Or if you want to comment on something else for that matter, give us a buzz. 0419832000 is our telephone number. You can text or WhatsApp us today on 086. 1-800-658 that's 086-1800-658 or email michael at lmfm.ie Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, thanks uh, to the listener who has a, a very good breathalyzer that they bought in a shop themselves and has texted us uh, this morning. They tell us they use it uh, the next day if uh, they've been drinking the night before and they don't drive until the breathalyzer says zero. Uh, and they say they think everyone should use this type of breathalyzer. They did name uh, where they bought uh, the product in their text 
next. Uh, if you don't mind, I'm not going to mention it because uh, that would be like endorsing it or recommending it. And uh, if it's uh, the type of thing that lets somebody down and they ended up being prosecuted for drink driving, uh, I think we'd be found responsibility. But uh, I'm glad to read your comment out uh, and I'm sure people will understand what you mean and they can do their own research. Um, somebody else uh, in touch uh, saying, I don't agree at all with drink driving, not ever. But that Alex woman advising people to ring the guards on your friend who's driving the next morning, I'd say she's great fun at a party. That's uh, Katrina. Thank you indeed, uh, Katrina, uh, for that. Baz uh, texting us saying, why do pubs have car parks? Well, I suppose it's because you can park your car there. There's lots of people who don't drink uh, and go to the pub uh, and are the designated driver, Baz. I think we've all met uh, plenty of people uh, who don't drink uh, but do go to the pub or who go to the pub, park their car uh, and go home in a a taxi or on the bus uh, and come back the next day uh, when they feel fit to drive, uh, as the case may be. You'd often see couples uh, who might have two cars, they drive to the pub uh, and uh, go home in a taxi and then drive back to the pub the next day in the second car to pick up the first one. But anyway, thank you indeed. If you have been in touch with us, 0419832000 is our telephone number. Text or WhatsApp 0861800658. Email michael at lmfm.ie. Now, if you were listening to us yesterday, you'd have heard an email that I read out from Jean O'Brien and Trim about the cost of school books. She was very concerned at how people can't afford them or why they can't afford them and why she has to end up paying for what is their bill Uh, and there was a a lot of reaction to Gene O'Brien's email an email that came in to us overnight from Derek Walsh in Drogheda says Dear Michael I heard that letter yesterday from that woman in Trim complaining about as she put it paying for other people's children's education she sounded to me like what they call the squeezed middle She said she earns a good salary but has to pay more these days for petrol, energy, groceries and whatever else. She wants to know who is going to help her and why should the less well-off be helped with the cost of school books if they seem to her to have plenty of money for cigarettes or the fancy phones she claims to have seen one woman she knows nothing about on a fancy phone in a shop somewhere. Some people will tell you that woman gets up early in the morning and she needs a break. The solution could be to give her a thousand euro tax break. So what would that do for her? Would it mean she'd have more in personal savings or put more away for her pension? Allow her splurge on even more expensive wine or finer cuts of meat? travel business class when she jets off so she doesn't have to mingle with the riffraff in the cheaper seats? Would she put it towards a new electric car so she can save money on the petrol that the poor old plebs will have to pay a fortune for because they can't afford a new car? Or will she retrofit her house and save on the heat while the rest of us minions help pay for it in carbon tax on our coal? I was outraged listening to how entitled that woman seems to think she is. Does she not know? People are literally not eating or not eating properly in order to pay their bills. It is no wonder that children go to school without a packed lunch if the self-righteous, well-off, carefree, so-called squeeze middle continue to ask 
what about me? Well, what about you? I'd suggest that woman comes back to that question. If the time ever comes around that she can't tell us, she will get into a warm, cosy bed with a full belly, contemplating if she will invest in gold or shares. Derek Walsh in Drogheda. Thank you indeed uh, for your email. Some text that came to us about that yesterday that we didn't get time to come to on uh, the programme. In a mixed bag, really. Patricia in Terman Fecken says, Michael, that O'Brien woman in Trim sums up the very worst in society these days. Who does she think she is coming to conclusions about people without any evidence to back up her claims? Does she not hear what St. Vincent de Paul and all of the charities are saying? People are at the pin of their collar. That's why they have to go to charities or moneylenders or borrow from their family or take out a loan if they can get one just to cover the bills. Her attitude had me fuming. Thanks Patricia for your text. Another one that came to us from Jennifer in Dulik who said, Michael, I listened to that email about parents claiming they can't afford school books at last. Someone has said it like it is. Spongers on the dole with all the money in the world for fags and designer tracksuits, never mind four nights in the pub, and then they get pregnant and have houses handed to them on a plate. They never worked a day in their lives. Why would they when it's a free ride? Thanks uh, for that, uh, Jennifer, uh, as well. Somebody else said, I was just thinking if I got a house off the council and I didn't have to work to pay a mortgage, would I be better off than I am now going to work? Maybe I would if I got the council to pay for my furniture and the government to pay for my doctor and if I had loads of kids, I could drink the children's allowance and sure, then I could say I can't afford the school books and get someone else to pay for them for me. Only thing is that I was brought up not to be a freeloader. Thank you indeed uh, to Marion in RD for that. Uh, James in Drogheda texting us uh, this morning. He says, uh, phone the guardie or phone the wife and the children the next morning after someone's been drinking and tell them that your friend is dead. You decide, says James. Uh, James obviously thinks it's a good idea to tell your friends not to drive the morning after. Uh, and, uh, Fergal, uh, thank you indeed for coming back to us about your breathalyzer and uh, understanding why we didn't uh, mention uh, the shop. But it is uh, something that a lot of people do, and I, I know that. And thank you indeed uh, for your message and indeed uh, for your contribution today. A lot of people in touch with us, and if you'd like to add to what's been said, we'd love to hear from you. As I say, you can ring us on 041 you can text or WhatsApp. It's the same number whether you text or send a WhatsApp message. 0861800658. Email Michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Well, we know that uh, Donald Trump was uh, the president of America. We know that he stood in uh, the last election and we know that he lost the election. Everybody knows that. Donald Trump knows that. And we all know that Donald Trump tried to claim otherwise and to claim that Joe Biden, the now president of the United States, actually stole the uh, election. And he went on to stir up a riot, the attack on Capitol Hill on the 6th of January yesterday. He pleaded not guilty to four criminal charges 
uh, relating to his attempt to overturn the election result. This is what Mr. Trump had to say afterwards. This is a very sad day for America. And it was also very sad driving through Washington, D.C. and seeing the filth and the decay and all of the broken buildings and walls and the graffiti. This is not the place that I left. It's a very sad thing to see it. Uh, When you look at what's happening, this is a persecution of a political opponent. This was never supposed to happen in America. This is the persecution of the person that's leading by very, very substantial numbers in the Republican primary and leading Biden by a lot. So if you can't beat him, you persecute him or you prosecute him. We can't let this happen in America. Thank you very much. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUI Galway and political correspondent with uh, the journal.ie joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Larry. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme this morning. presume we're getting used to the idea of uh, the former president going before uh, a court of justice, but this is a a very serious issue, isn't it? It certainly is, Michael. And, and, you know, the president said it's it's a sad day for America, and I I would respond that it's a sad day for America because we are now getting used to what we once would have regarded as an appalling vista, that is the president, ex-president of the United States, uh, appearing in a federal court for an arraignment and to be indicted uh, and to plead not guilty to some very serious charges. So that's why, above all, this is a very sad day for America. Uh, but uh, in my estimation, this is, you know, the most serious of all, and that is down to what's contained in the indictment that we, we, we saw this week. Um, and if, if listeners want to even have a glance at the indictment, the content, content of it uh, is absolutely chilling to see laid bare exactly what uh, Donald Trump and his unnamed co-conspirators did uh, in the wake of an election that, as you say, they knew they had lost, yet they still tried to subvert the organs of American democracy. Uh, and again, I think this is uh, the most damning and the most explosive uh, for Donald Trump Uh, certainly legally uh, and potentially politically. Uh, I read your article in uh, the journal.ie and I see that what you're talking about there is a 45-page document which lays bare the charges against them uh, and it uh, really uh, covers every corner by the sounds of things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what Smith did that was very, Jack Smith, this is a special prosecutor, what he did that was very shrewd was it was originally anticipated that uh, the January 6th, uh, you know, investigation would, would center on uh, Donald Trump's speech to this, to the, to the, his, his backers uh, on Capitol Hill that morning, that that's what uh, this would really revolve around. And the, the real, the, the sentiment among legal experts was that the First Amendment uh, would cover that, 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 uh, that rant, I guess you would call it, even as you know, as disturbing as we might find it, they stayed away from that largely, and they focused in on what uh, Trump and the co-conspirators are alleged to have done uh, in a variety of different states, where they pressured leading officials, including some allies, to overturn the results of the election, to send fake electors uh, to Washington D.C., and then on what the president himself did to his own Justice Department, the pressure he sought to bring to bear on them to send sorts of fake letters and everything else. And lastly, uh, the effort he made to pressure 
uh, Mike Pence to refuse to ratify uh, the election results. And to Mike Pence's credit, uh, he withstood enormous pressure from the president and said simply that constitutionally, I cannot do that. Uh, So it's all laid out. Mike Pence, the then vice president, who will prove to be a key witness in this trial. Uh, There's four charges, three counts of conspiracy uh, and one of construction. Uh, Map out for us uh, the potential consequences if Mr. Trump is found guilty uh, on any of uh, the charges or all four of the charges for that matter. Well, the obstruction charge carries a, a maximum sentence of 20 years. The other charges are between five and 10 years. Now, I wouldn't imagine that the, the president worried to be convicted uh, would serve anywhere near that amount of time. Indeed, it's an open question as to whether uh, the ex-president uh, nearing his 80th birthday would ever serve. Uh, in prison for all sorts of different reasons. But make no mistake, they are serious charges. Now, that having been said, there are defenses that the, the Trump's team will mount. Among them uh, have to do with the statutes he's being charged under, whether they're too vague, whether they, they were intended to penalize this sort of conduct. Uh, the first thing they will do in this case uh, is move for a change of venue. They'll say Trump can't get a fair trial in Washington, D.C., where he is widely loathed. Uh, they'll assert that a lot of what he did was protected by the First Amendment, uh, you know, and they'll say that, look, he didn't actually know uh, that, he, you know, his, he, he was, you know, putting forth a false theory uh, that he had actually uh, won the election. They'll say that he didn't know that, which, in my view, based on everything else that's contained in the, in the indictment and based on everything else that's in the public record, to me, that's almost akin to an insanity defense if they're going to say the president didn't know that he had lost the election. Is it true to say that if found guilty on any or all of the charges that Donald Trump could still run for the presidency, he could be elected to the president of America, that under those circumstances he could be forced to swap the Oval Office for his prison cell, and that as the president of America he could pardon himself? Constitutionally, that is the case. Constitutionally, there is no impediment uh, to him doing so. Now, as a practical matter, uh, if this trial does take place uh, before, uh, the, before the general election, uh, then I can't imagine uh, any circumstance, and he is found guilty, I can't imagine uh, that, they, that he would serve as president from a jail cell. But constitutionally, there is no impediment. Right. Uh, will people vote for him? Will this actually uh, play well in terms of play out well in terms of his election campaign? In the short term, I mean, you know, look, we, we've seen all sorts of other stuff come down the pike, and it hasn't changed uh, his base of support. If anything, it is only emboldened and increased it, not just among his core of support, but also uh, a certain demographic of Republicans who think he is the victim of political persecution and a weaponized Justice Department. This one, I don't know. You know, again, what I'm, what I'm, what I suppose all political watches are looking for is let's see some opinion polling uh, over the past couple of days since this uh, indictment was announced. Will it move the needle at all? My suspicion, based on precedent, is that uh, it won't. Uh, and that, you know, look, he will remain as strong as ever. But uh, there are open, two open questions that I think present themselves. One is, are we getting to a stage where he's going to be so ensnared in legal battles 
and it will impair his capacity to campaign effectively. Mm. And then the second one is this, is that will at some stage there be some sort of great awakening uh, among Republicans who are leaning towards Trump now when they say, look, there's too much here. We love you, Donald, but we can't take a risk uh, because it's too important for us to beat Joe Biden, who's a vulnerable candidate who can be taken out. We have people who can take him out. We can't take a risk uh, on you. And, and, and as an aside, if, if, I, if I were advising Republican candidates, I'd be saying, uh, you know, move in that direction. Okay, we'll be watching that space. Larry, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme today. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at NUI Galway, is a political correspondent with the journal.ie. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, retained firefighters are on strike. Let's speak uh, to the station officer with Dunshockland Fire Station. Fiannan Blake is on the line. A very good morning to you, Fiannan, and thanks indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. I'm not sure how many people have noticed your strike action. How long is it going on now? Yeah, Michael, look, thanks for having us on. Um, we brought this forward. Uh, look, it's been going on for a long time, conversations, but uh, it's been brought forward. We have an association called the NRFA, so it's the National Retained Firefighters Association. So it's lads from all over the country, and uh, we've got together, and we have a recruitment and retention problem within the service. And we brought this forward over a long period of time, but it's kind of just come forward now in May, April, May, and June, um, we talks broke down in, in May and we went into industrial action and we set up a picket over five days in June. And uh, then it was brought forward to the Labour Court and it was kind of delayed and we went back into industrial action and came off the picket line. Yeah. And they brought forward recommendations that weren't near good enough and we stood down our strike for a couple of weeks and now we're back into full strike action again Mm. for the past almost two weeks. Right, Uh, and uh, the recommendation from the WRC was overwhelmingly rejected, wasn't it? It was. It was was rejected by 82% to 18%. Look, the recommendations just didn't come anywhere near what we were looking for or what we were hoping for. Mm. Um, It was kind of... We work off a retainer in the retained system. So in my own station here in Dunchapin, we're open since 1956. And most retained stations are open probably since the 40s or 50s. Nothing has really changed over the years. With the way we work, we have a crew of 10 here. And um, we just don't have enough people. We don't. There's no young people joining the service anymore. Mm. And uh, the working conditions, there's no... There's no structured time off and we're fighting really for structured time off and structured wage. Explain that uh, uh, a little more clearly for us, if you wouldn't mind, Fionn. You're on call this weekend, I take it. You're always on call. You're you're on call 24-7, but you mightn't work at all this weekend. Is that right? Yeah, so we're on call 24-7. Stations on call all the time. So we have a crew of 10. So we need five to turn out to, to a call. So basically we have to have five, six. It, it helps if there's seven or eight people on call all the time. So um, we have three officers and seven firefighters. So um, we need an officer to turn out every call as well. Mm. So basically in Dunshockland, 
when I joined in 1998, we were doing about 140 calls a year. Right. So now we're doing a, we're doing about twice that now. We've done over 270 last year, but we still have the same amount of people uh, in the station, the same crew crew numbers, and um, it's just gone to the stage where it's it's about to collapse, and we we can't run it anymore like this. So you could be um, you, you could be called out any time of the day or any time of the night, yeah. any any day of the week. Any time, any any day, any night. We do a lot of RTCs, mm. road, road collisions here. Well, we were talking um, about drink driving earlier on to stop RTCs. Yeah. I take it if you're a retained firefighter, you could never drink. Yeah, no, you, your life is, is, is totally different. Uh, I, I heard someone saying that the way you could explain the best was during the COVID lockdown, everyone had to stay within a kilometre of their house. We didn't find that too hard, really, because... The way it is now, we can't go more than two kilometres, two and a half kilometres from the station when you're on call. So you can't go anywhere else. You can't, you know, you can't plan anything. You, you know, you can get a call at any time and yet you just have to go. Um, everything from going out or, you know, everything has to be, your whole life has to be structured and planned around, around getting the call. Um, being on call so mm. it's gone to the stage where look we just can't do it anymore and we need help um, we okay. need more and, and, and what's the situation now that you're on strike I mean if someone's house is burning there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Down, you're still on call, and you'll still respond, will you? Yeah, well, look, we're... We went into an industrial action first, so we weren't training. So we're, we're actually on 50-50 now. So half the stations in every county are closed down uh, for one day and the other half are covering. So, uh, for example, we were closed yesterday and the nearest station to us will be Ashburn. Ashburn were, were covering us. And then they're closed today and we're covering them. So that's the way it's working all over the country. So it's 50% of stations are off every day. Hmm. and the day that you're off then you're picketing at the front of the station 
Okay, but there's only some calls you respond to uh, emergency calls. Uh, well, when we're on, we're responding. We're responding to everything. Oh, to no, everything. We're not, okay. Yeah, we're not. We're not really. We're not going to see our community stuff because that's that's what's most important to us. Like you know, we're not going to not go out to something that's life threatening locally either. You know, so hmm. we're still we're still trying our best to keep it going, but. Um, on the stage where you know something has to be done and something mm. has to be done very quickly and I don't think I don't think they're doing enough the government are, they're totally out of touch with Ireland they don't even understand what's going on well, and, the, the, the government uh, has rejected the idea of increasing pay for any public servants outside of the public servant pay talks I think that's the argument yeah, isn't it so when when the when the recommendations came across they advertised it as if we, they were giving us a 24% increase. We have a small retainer fee for a start-up firefighter. It's about 8800 a year. It's about 730 a month. So they were willing to give us 24% on top of that. So the increase was worth probably about 40 or 50 hours a week. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't near enough because uh, we already have lads struggling mm-hmm. on the money that we're on at the minute. And then the time off... They were offering us a week on and week off, but you, obviously you don't get paid for the calls you miss on your week off. So okay. recommendations mm. in re, in reality were nearly giving us a pay cut. It was it was it was nearly offending what they came across with and how right. they advertised it. Because they were going to increase uh, the uh, offer of twenty four percent to thirty two point seven percent, I think. Yeah, well, look, oh. it's still not near enough because you're 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 offering a very small increase on already what's very small money and the time mm-hmm. off they offered you obviously won't get you're not going to pay for your time off so yeah. it just does, doesn't make any sense and it's, it's not what we were looking for and it's not what we were hoping for yeah, uh, is this your job I, I mean yeah, uh, can, you see, <coughs> can, can you get another job you see that that's one of the biggest problems and it's one of the biggest things maybe this is what they're thinking um, about probably 40% of retained firefighters don't have any other job. This is our job. Mm. And um, I think about 27% are, are self-employed, so they're working for themselves. It's so, to the stage where you can't work for anyone else because if you, do, if you are lucky enough to get employment locally, you know, what employer is going to let you off for a call? You could be gone for an hour or you could be gone for six hours and you don't know when the call is coming in and you, you just have to leave what you're doing and, and rush off. Mm. So no employer is going to employ you locally. Here in Dunshock, and we'd be busy enough with calls and that, but this is a satellite town. It's similar probably to Ashburn as well. We're close to Dublin. Lads are just joining and they're realising that, you know, it's 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 too much for, you know, the, the conditions, the working conditions, and there's no work-life balance. And if you have a job locally, lads are losing that job because of the fire service. They're, they're leaving the fire service and they're going into different jobs. They're going into Dublin Fire Brigade. They're going to the airport. You know, it's just years ago it used to work because there's a smaller amount of calls and, and you're able to get off and the whole lot. But it's gone to the stage now where it's on the verge of collapse and it's not going to work anymore. Hmm. So do you think you can force the hand of the government uh, by taking this action? Because, I mean, as I said at the outset, I wonder how many people notice uh, or have noticed or know that you're on strike. Yeah, you see, that's that's the problem. We're not, you know, we're, we're trying to do it uh, as best we can, you know, we don't. We're obviously not going to let anyone down, or we're going to try to continue doing our jobs as best we can. You know, um, 
we're trying to force the hand of the government and that's what we're trying to do we're getting hard to get it on the, pre- on the, on the news and I don't know you, people just see us at the stations a lot of people don't even know what's going on still mm. and um this and and there's no risk. I mean, if my house is burning down, I'll dial 999 and the fire brigade will arrive. Well, we still, we're still given cover, but it's delayed cover now because mm. if, there's a, if there's a fire in Ashburn today, we're the nearest brigade and we're 15 minutes from Ashburn. So it is going to be delayed because of the strike action, but we're still trying to cover as much as we can and we're trying mm. not to let down anyone. But we, we just have to, for the, for the sake of the service, for the sake of our own communities, we have to keep going at this and you know, we're fighting for ourselves and we're fighting. If yeah. if they don't come across and if they don't listen to what we're saying, it's going to collapse and lads are going to walk away from the service. And I don't know what kind of service will be here this time next year, for example, if they don't start listening to to what's going on. I take it as great frustration. I imagine people are very down in the mouth, are they? It is, it is. And the mental health of, mm. of firefighters is on all time low. And you can see it right across the board with all the crews. And um, these are lads that love their jobs and, and, and love what they do. Mm. But we're, we're just not getting any help on, on the matter really at the minute. And look, mm. we're willing to keep to keep mm. fighting. Like, I mean, you'll see us, we'll be on the pickets for next week and, and going forward. Yeah. There's another meeting next week. We'll see what happens. But I wouldn't be too hopeful of anything being sorted out. And we're willing to keep fighting and keep going. What's the I solution, Fionn? Uh, I mean, uh, <coughs> what would satisfy? Well, look at, well, would say, look at a lot of the stations are different as well. Like, there's quieter stations around the, the country that would probably take. There'd be different answers maybe for different stations. I'm not 100 percent sure. I can only talk for, for ourselves here, but. Really, what we're looking for is some kind of structured pay and structured time off. Lads can't even go in and get a mortgage. They can't get car loans because the retainer fee is so low. And uh, we get paid per hour for our calls as well. So that's not taken into account when you're going in for a mortgage or you're going in for a loan of any kind. So then, you know, that, that offers its own problems. The structured time off is also massive. There's, there's times the lads have to sit around all weekend waiting for you know for calls maintaining the crew sometimes we get a crew and there could be one of the lads here a couple of kids they're going away and all of a sudden he he gets a call and has to come in and leave the family to go off on their day on their own so there's, there's all these types of things that are happening all the time there's no structured time off and um, we just need to keep fighting for for this and, and for mm. some kind of structured pay and some proper time off it's really 2023 yeah. you shouldn't really have to be doing this either you know but it sounds where, almost like where. a part-time fire service. I, I, I don't know how many people uh, would have realised how the fire service is structured and that people yeah. are, are on call like that rather than employed <laughs> full-time. Yeah, uh, I, do, I don't really understand it because if you look at all the other services across the, the public service, they're all they're all as in full-time jobs. You know, mm-hmm. the ambulances are struggling as well. They're, they're under serious pressure as well. And, I don't know what the answer is to that. You see the guards, well, but no one else is retained. We seem to be the only service that's retained, and it's just not working anymore. It's an old system that's not. It's not working anymore, and it just has to change. If it doesn't change, I don't know what's going to happen. You'll have no one to do this job going forward. Like the average age of crews now is going higher and higher because there's no one joining in their twenties anymore. Mm. You know, 
The youngest fella at my station is in his mid-thirties and that's the way it is right across the board. Isn't well, it? yeah, I can understand. It doesn't sound very appealing now, to be honest. Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't. Uh, I can see a, a number of people uh, texting it as well. Very appreciative of the service that you provide uh, and thankful that you're there when an emergency occurs and uh, believe uh, that you should get the support that you're looking for. Come to some of those messages later. Fionan, thanks for joining us though this morning. No problem, Michael. Thank, Thank you, you indeed. Fionan Blake is the station officer with Dunshockland Fire Station. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. LMFM. Now, do you remember hearing this? The era of global warming has ended. The era, the era of global boiling has arrived. Yes, this was uh, the Secretary General of uh, the United Nations, Antonio Guterres, at uh, the start of uh, the week, telling us uh, that uh, the world is melting uh, because of climate change and indeed how we're experiencing extreme weather conditions. Extreme weather is becoming the new normal. All countries must respond and protect their people from the searing heat, fatal floods, storms, droughts and raging fires that result. Now, most of us didn't understand what Mr. Guterres was talking about when he was talking about the searing heat in this country. But believe it or not, July was hotter for four out of five people on the planet than any July that came before us. Evidence is everywhere. Humanity has unleashed destruction. This must not inspire despair, but action. We can still stop the worst. But to do so, we must turn a year of burning heat into a year of burning ambition and accelerate climate action now. Antonio Guterres, uh, the wettest July on record in this country, which I think is probably leading to some despair. Amy Ford is news editor with uh, the Farmers Journal. A very good morning to you, Amy, and thanks uh, indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, Obviously, in this country, we fall into the category of one in five people uh, on the planet rather than the four out of five who have experienced the hottest July. This has been the wettest July and it is taking its toll on farmers. It is, Michael. Thanks for having me on. Um, look, the wettest July on record followed by uh, the, or before, and then precursor to that was obviously the warmest June on record. We're August schools. Look, we'll obviously have to see we're in the early days, but thankfully at the minute it's it's bright and it's nice out. Uh, the sun is shining, but uh, this is a massive reprieve for hopefully at least today, but I think there's more rain forecast um, after what was a horrendous month weather-wise with, you know, massive amounts of rainfall um, recorded over the country. And this has had a knock-on impact on farmers making second-cut silage um, for feeding this winter and for farmers, obviously, who are uh, harvesting winter and spring crops at the minute. There is a lot of crops still in the ground, um, which will go on for either malting or or into animal feed, um, still in the ground yet to be harvested um, in terms of winter, which would have been planted earlier, uh, or spring, which the harvest has kind of kicked off for that now in parts of the country where where fields are trafficable. But we've seen, you know, flooding in parts of the country. Mm. We've seen um, land along the Shannon Callows, along the river. It's a bit further away from me. Mm. Um, um, That's always flooded though, isn't it? It is. It is a floodplain. Mm, But Um, we're worse than ever because of of, uh, the weather. I mean, we've uh, warnings of flooding going into 
the long weekend uh, with uh, rain warnings uh, ahead over the next couple of, uh, of days as well. It's terribly depressing for the August weekend, but we are where we are. And uh, you've an extensive report on it in the Farmers Journal uh, this week. And uh, the cost of it all, this is going to be costly for farmers, isn't it? It is. So basically, if you think about it in summertime, cattle, in, if I take cattle or cows, for example, they're out grazing in fields, they're turning that grass, uh, converting that grass into milk, essentially, or they're um, obviously putting on more weight um, before being sent to the factory. Um, but if you have to house cattle, um, you will have to feed them extra. So you're either going to have to dip into your reserves that you were going to use over the winter months when they're housed, or you might have to start meal feeding them. And that all comes at a cost. Um, and input costs no more than anyone else uh, in the households in general who experienced obviously the very high cost of living, the things, prices for everything have shot up and it's no different on farms um, input costs in terms of fertiliser in terms of feed, they all jumped massively last year and they, they did come down this year um, but if you're feeding meal in, in August at this time of year for from a grass based system um, that's costing you money and there could be further damage so if you did leave cows out and you left them out um, to, and they could have damaged ground, they could approach the ground and if the weather continues to be bad, that ground is going to take time to recover so there might not be time um, or the conditions might not be there to graze them uh, later into the autumn before they're housed. So that could be another knock-on impact. Again, you could be dipping into your silage reserves that you have put aside for winter or you could be obviously feeding meal um, and the, the key thing is, is that at this minute in time there's a lot of farmers around the country who have done their first cut silage, got a really good first cut. We had a really good June weather-wise um, but the second cut is now an issue for some farmers and it's that second cut that really tops up the pit or tops up bales um, and really buffers supplies into the winter so the next couple of weeks are really are really crucial in, in that sense What about harvesting crops? Yeah, so um, obviously anyone that's looked out the window in the last month, you know it's not good for for growth or for harvesting mm. conditions. Um, it's the like late July, August. That's when we harvest crops in this country. That's mm. when that, that's the culmination for tillage farmers and grain growers. Um, fields are very difficult to get into in parts of the country. There is water logging, obviously. Mm. So that means if you're you can't really go in there with a combine, you might get stuck um, in parts. Uh, in terms of the crops themselves. Um, we had a lot of wind as well as as well as rain, yeah. and people might mm. think it's just wind or rain that causes issues. No, um, but no. rain can cause. Um Oh, sorry, wind can cause obviously uh, if you if you're driving past tillage fields at the minute of, of barley, you might see parts of them uh, look lodged or that they're they're flattened, mm. and that's essentially that's them crops are on the ground. The combine head won't reach those crops when you're mm. going into that field um, because they're lying on the ground. So there's a lot of impacts and knock-on impacts in terms of the weather that it's had yeah. this month or the uh, last uh, month on. Uh, it has to be the case. I, I mean, I, I know it from my own garden, uh, which is destroyed by the weather, as you say, not just the rain but the wind. Uh, as well. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's uh, the summer. Uh, but uh, e- even if you can get to the crops, uh, I- I- is it right to think that some of them are already destroyed beyond it at this stage? I'd say some sections of some crops in some fields, it's, it'd be, um, you know, you wouldn't have whole fields gone out at this stage anyway, thankfully, um, but you could have sections of fields depending on where, where obviously it's not mm. being smart, Michael, but where the wind blew, um, but essentially you could have parts of fields that are that are damaged and that in turn will then reduce the amount of crops you can actually harvest and in turn reduce yields, which, yeah. you know, isn't a good thing because it's that yield and what you get, um, yeah, which is where the price is based yeah, on the quality. Yeah, and we know the prices are, are low and that's uh, one of the 
big contentions. What are farmers putting it down to? Uh, I mean, are they listening uh, to those messages that we heard a, a moment ago about the world melting and that this is down to climate change or do they feel it's just a, a bad year? It's probably a mix of both, Michael, to be honest. Like, we have seen more extreme weather events, um, like, even in the last decade. You know, the snowstorms we've had earlier in the year that some of us hadn't seen before. Um, and I'm talking about the ones where there was snowdrifts around parts of the country. Um the drought we've already had a drought in this country in May and June um, where we had you know very little to no rain in, in parts of the country and, and farmers had to again dip into mm. last year's silage probably that was left over um, to buffer feed cows out in fields um, so there's definitely more of a more of a uh, how will I say consensus among farmers um, that you know, there needs to be more preparation uh, going into each and every year and it's getting increasingly so that um, you know uh, fodder planning and, and stock planning um, is becoming increasingly important as a result of these more extreme weather events that we're wow. having or more extreme weather um, on the back of climate change and look all farmers can yeah. do is, is plan to have um, plan for certain varieties of crops that can withstand certain um, well, now you're, um, you're, events you're, you're, and so on. You're beginning to go to where I, I wanted to ask you uh, about next which is about farmers diversifying and the attitude towards uh, climate change. If climate change is causing grease to burn and farmers to be washed out here, is it time to start reducing the herd and all of these unpalatable things uh, because um, uh, we're shooting ourselves in the foot if this is what we're facing into if we don't tackle climate change, is it not? Yeah, I suppose in one way you could say that, but it's obviously, um, you know, a culmination of things um, that are causing these issues rather than just uh, the national herd alone um, in terms of other things. Um, Sure, I'm just using that as an example, Amy, but do you understand? I mean, a lot of farmers would reject the idea that uh, we have to make these changes in agriculture and reduce emissions and so on, uh, and that uh, there's always been extreme weather, and they'll tell you that when there were yumphless, there were great summers and there were brutal summers and all that sort of thing. Uh, But the evidence as Antonio Guterres said, there is in front of our faces now, is it not? No, it is. It definitely is. And I suppose um, farmers need to then be, I suppose, incentivised in part of one way and supported and encouraged, uh, as you say, to diversify, to diversify into organics, into forestry, um, into possibly growing uh, ground for feedstock instead of for cattle and then getting a really good price for, for grass silage or slurry, should I say, um, to then feed such things as an anaerobic digestion plant. Um, but some of these things are still a long way away. We still have no biomethane strategy for this country, even though in our climate action plan, the targets for 2030 are there that we need uh, a certain amount. I don't have the figure off the top of my head of AD plants to be up and running. Um, there is going to be serious issues with plan permission on those things. Uh, we've seen solar farms there are a lot of solar farms going in around the country there's really good um I suppose money on offer for land leases for farmers to put aside a certain amount of ground and rent it to a solar development company um, where they can still claim payments on certain amount of the ground, possibly grey sheep. Um, so I think farmers are doing it, but that it's there's more encouragement needed. And uh, as I said there, like the government needs to come forward with certain strategies in order to get other things off the ground. We just had the mm. forestry programme or part of it approved this week by the European Commission, a 1.3 billion euro forestry programme, um, but only 380 million euro of that fund was approved by by Europe this week Um, and farmers uh, planting levels farmers uh, have always had an appetite to plant their land a lot of people uh, you see it as a pension pot um, that they'll get a 15 year premium and if they plant now and they're in their 40s or so on that they'll have it when they when they retire Um, 
but planting levels are massively low this year because of uh, issues in the forestry licence inside of thing and because the programme hasn't been approved yet. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that can be done, um, I suppose. It's just that making sure that they're there in the right uh, way and in the right time, that they are available for farmer take-up before they can do them because if they can't access them, um, they obviously can't take up these new diversification options. So I suppose that's kind of um, where I'd sit on that one. Great to talk to you, Amy, even under these inclement circumstances. And thanks for joining us on the programme today. Amy Ford, news editor with uh, The Farmer's Journal. Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, as you've been hearing this morning, the central bank and the government is being warned of a mortgage arrears crisis. And uh, the price of a home has gone up €28,000 in the second quarter of uh, this year compared with uh, the same period last year. That's based on the state's property price register. Charlie Weston, personal finance editor with the Irish Independent, is writing about this uh, this morning telling us that the median or typical price is now €318,000. Charlie Weston joins us now. Good morning to you, Charlie. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. That's one thing. But can I ask you another question and another issue that you're writing about today? And that is how some people are paying 10% interest on their loans. How could that possibly be the case? 10% 10% seems absolutely extraordinary, doesn't it, Michael? Um, you know, the European Central Bank rate is 4.25. That's the what they call the refinance rate. It went up. Uh, with, uh, an announcement was made last month, uh, last week only, really, uh, that it was going to 4.25. But some people are paying 10%, yeah, which is more than double the European Central Bank rate. Um, these are people who are trapped with uh, vulture funds. Their mortgages were bought from a conventional bank and uh, a vulture fund took them over. We don't know who owns them. They don't tell us that. We just know that they're serviced by the likes of Pepper or Start. They're what's called a credit servicer. And Pepper has written out to thousands of people this week telling them that their interest rates are going up by 0.75%. That's three times the last rate increase we saw. Uh, and, um, you know, they're going to be hitting between 8 and 10% in some of the letters I've seen. Mm. These are people who would have started off on variable rates uh, when they left the bank as high as 4.25. And most of the, you know, we've had nine European bank rate increases. Most of those have been passed on to these people. So they're now hitting 10% and it's unaffordable for these people. Yeah. Well, it must but be. We just can't afford it, they're saying. Yeah, yeah it must be. Uh, I'm sure people listening can uh, relate it to their own mortgage repayments and to think of uh, a 10% interest rate would be unaffordable or frightening uh, the extreme for most of us uh, but you give a, a very good example in the Irish Independent this morning uh, of a man who earns two and a half thousand euro a, a month after tax not a, a, a bad income tell us about his situation if you would yeah he's just an ordinary guy he, he he's um he's not earning a whole lot of money he comes out with 2500 euros a month uh, and, and you know he, uh, that, that that's that's not a huge amount of money, but his mortgage rate is going to go from one thousand nine hundred euros a month to two thousand one hundred euros a month, which would leave the princely sum of four hundred euros to feed the kids and the, the and his wife and himself, and um, you know yeah. uh, pay for the electricity and gas, put yeah. the kids you know get their school books and stuff ready. 
which is nothing. I mean, it's an absolutely unsustainable mess of a situation. And there are thousands of, those, of people like him now staring at mortgage arrears. It's coming down fast. It's not as if the central bank and the government haven't been warned about this in the past, but they just seem to be sitting back. I suppose you could say, this might be a bit cruel, but they're like disaster tourists. They're sitting back watching the the catastrophe unfold and taking photographs rather than actually getting involved and doing something about it, even though they played a large role in this mess because, uh, you know, budget funds were encouraged in here. They were seen as cleaning up the the, the bad mortgage loans of the banks. Mm. They were encouraged to buy them these mortgages and people were assured, look, at nothing will change here. Your terms and conditions are the same. What they weren't told was when interest rates would go through the roof, these people were going to be hit with very high increases. Something like 32,000 people uh, have had past uh, financial difficulties who are now being managed by these funder funds. They're not being offered fixed rates, so Mm. they can't do anything to tie down the rate. They're on variable rates. Mm. And I I see in the paper today, 8.5% to 10%. Uh, if uh, your mortgage is with Pepper, who I think you mentioned there, why don't you just switch mortgage providers? Well, that's the problem. They can't do that because they've had difficulties in the past. We're talking about people who their mortgage was sold because it, it, it had underperformed in the past, that they'd missed payments in the past or right. been restructured. Part of it may have been warehoused where they were only paying, they're only paying, mortgage, um, they're only paying part of the principal back. And uh, or, may, or maybe they're on interest only. So the banks dump these, and these people now are, you know, they're not a great credit risk, so they, they, they can't switch or move. And they're, so they're stuck with the vulture fund, and the vulture funds won't offer them fixed rates. They're saying they're not lenders, they're not in a position to offer fixed rates, so these people are on variable rates, and the variable rates are going up and up and up as each European Central Bank rate rises goes through and it's left these people in a catch-22 where they can't pay their mortgage and uh, they, you know, they're being hit with extreme mortgage rates of 85 to 10% and they're stuck and it's a mess and it's unfolding before our eyes, a new mortgage crisis. Um, you know, yeah. uh, it's, it's only a few years since we still have a we still have a throwback of the old one that, which hasn't been dealt with and here we are again with a new mortgage crisis. Mm, and uh, if you fall into arrears of uh, the sort, uh, what's the consequence? Are we talking about 32,000 people uh, who face the prospect of going into arrears and 32,000 homes that could potentially be repossessed? There could be. I mean, the, 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 there is a way of avoiding that and there is good news here and I've been reporting on this as well. Recently, um, we've had a second court decision where uh, these people have gone to a personal insolvency practitioner. They've put together a court-approved personal insolvency arrangement, and these these have been approved by the court, and they've got a fixed rate for 2 2.5% for 25, 30 years. They, they, those kind of deals have been done. Uh, you, so if, if, if you're in an unsustainable situation where you just can't meet your repayments as they fall due, go and seek out a personal insolvency practitioner. The initial consultancy, consultation with them will be uh, covered by the Iwalia scheme, which is part of, you know, MABS cover that cost, the government covers that cost. It's called the Iwalia scheme. And you can look at your options and you may be able to do that. Get a personal insolvency arrangement. The last one I reported on wasn't opposed by Pepper. The first one was, and it wasn't appealed either, but it was opposed. The judge 
put it through anyway, they decided not to appeal it. So the second one I reported on in the last few weeks, um, Pepper didn't oppose it, so it, it went through on, on, on assent. So these kind of deals can be done, and that's the only thing way you can do it. Get the court to force them into offering you a fixed rate as low as 2.5% over 30 years. And that's that's, that's a dreadful way of going about things, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, this is what has to be done, because... Yeah. Um, yeah, the banks and central bank have been flapping around on this one for a while, yeah. doing nothing. And the butcher funds are not in, you know, they're yeah. saying they, you know, they have their property rights. They own those mortgages. They're not yeah. lenders. They're saying we're not offering you fixed rates. Uh, but look, at when people but you are can in go the to the court and the court will order it. Um, so why can't the government or the central bank uh, intervene and prevent having to go about it that way? Well, this is it. Um, you know, the, the, the butcher funds own the mortgages. So, so uh, the, the, you know, yeah. it's very difficult to get them to, you know, you're talking about organisations which headquarters in New York or California or London, they're not interested in offering fixed rates and they can't be forced because they own those mortgages and you know, what are we supposed to do? Uh, it's, you're, into con, con, you're into constitutional issues here yeah. because it's their private property. They can't be told what to do with it. Uh, they own those mortgages. So yeah. it's a mess. It's a mess and solutions are, are being worked on in the background but so far, there's no breakthrough, as I understand it. Okay, tell us a, a little bit more about house prices. Uh, as I mentioned, you're reporting in the Irish Independent today uh, that the median price is now €318,000. It's much higher, isn't it, uh, for new homes? Uh, and when we talk about this median price, that takes in the most expensive homes in, in Dublin and uh, probably uh, the... Well. Yeah, and, 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 and the least expensive homes in Leitrim or wherever it is uh, before you get to that uh, price. Yeah, you can get a home in Leitrim for 150 grand. According to them. these are these are sales transactions now that are being recorded by the property price register. Uh, a data technology company called GeoWalks. That's a strange name, I know, but they crunched the numbers and found that look at the typical or median price is about 318 thousand euros. Now that's new and second hand. Most of the houses changing hands are second hand. There isn't enough new ones being built. And where they are changing hands, the new ones are more expensive, much more expensive. You're talking about four hundred ten thousand euros for a new home, so that's nearly a hundred grand more for a new home than for uh, you know a typical home. Uh, so it, very expensive, and and that medium price of three hundred eighteen thousand for you know the average price last year, or typical price rather, last year, that's up about twenty eight grand. Uh, it's ten percent higher, so. But, yeah, there are, you're right, Michael, mm. there are absolutely enormous variations in prices. Leitrim, Common houses down there, 150 to 160,000 euros. Uh, Wicklow has the most expensive houses in the country. It's, it's the most expensive uh, county, 425,000 euros for a house in Wicklow. More, more expensive uh, than Dublin, is it? Just a shade more Really? Than My Dublin. God, yeah. yeah. And Mead's not far behind. Mead, any of those commuter counties wouldn't be far behind. Mead, about €355,000. Kildare, €390,000. Mm. We have a nice interactive map on uh, our uh, graphic, w- on our um, website, mm. where you can just point at the uh, county, for example, at this moment, I'm pointing on Offaly, and it shows that the average house, or typical house price there that traded in the last year was about €240,000. Cork, 306,000 euros. I would have thought it'd be more on Cork, but Galway is quite pricey, 290,000. Um, so, you know, depending mm. on where you are in the country. Yeah, and pr- uh, pr- prices is, uh, have been skyrocketing and loud up 15, 16%. 
That's right, yeah. Two hundred, nearly three hundred thousand euros in Laos, just shy mm. of three hundred thousand in euros, euros in in Laos. So they mm. have been shooting up as well. Um, yeah, so so you know a, a wide variety of prices, but they're generally just going up. Even though there have been fewer transactions, there's been a fall off in the number of transactions. And despite the fact that mortgage rates are going up, you know, the banks are charging more for 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 new mortgages, but. Um, Still, there's huge demand out there, I'm afraid, Michael. Okay, Charlie, good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us on the programme today. Charlie Weston is uh, the personal finance editor with the Irish Independent. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, let me bring you some of uh, the comments that have been coming uh, to us uh, this morning. Richard in Drogheda, many thanks for your WhatsApp message. Richard says, uh, the firefighters risk their lives for us. The trauma that they experience is unimaginable. Their lives are practically put on hold with uh, the current system, which is why they can't recruit or retain firefighters. They deserve our full support. Thank you, Richard, as I say, for your message, another WhatsApp message from Dara who says, just listening to the situation with uh, the fire brigade lads on strike it breaks my heart to listen to this it puts the fear of God into me and my family that in times of an emergency there may not be that timely support for us. Why is there not more support for these vital people in our communities? Very sad, says Dara. Well thank you indeed for that. Somebody else uh, Jerry and Wilkinson about this saying how many people have died as a result of the indiscriminate actions of the so-called fire men and women could you ask him that Michael Reid says uh, Jerry in Wilkinstown thanks uh, Jerry for that uh, well first of all I think the answer to your first question is nobody has died because they're responding to all of the calls as we heard from Fionnan earlier in uh, the programme and I think the second point is that it is not an indiscriminate action it has trade union support it's a uh, an approved strike uh, that is underway uh, and there is emergency cover in place, uh, although uh, they are, as we heard today, responding to all calls. Uh, so uh, I hope that answers uh, the question uh, satisfac- satisfactorily for you. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, struggled on that word. I won't try it again. Uh, somebody else uh, in touch with us um, about drink driving saying an improvement in public transport across the board would contribute towards the solution of people deciding to drink and drive. Thank you indeed for that. We spent a a bit of time this morning talking about Donald Trump and as to whether he'll be the next president of America working from a prison cell or the Oval Office, as the case may be. With some reaction to it, James Andrade says, forget not the Democrats spent the first three years of Trump's presidency saying he stole the elections and tried Russia collusion, proven wrong. Thanks, uh, James. Uh, Pat and Tully Allen emailed us about this too, saying the people of America know that Donald Trump did a better job as president than the current administration. The Democrats are the media and they are not holding Biden accountable. Trump 2024, the only person for the job, says Pat in Tully Allen. Okay, Pat. (laughs) I suppose... You're entitled to your opinion, as bizarre as it may be. Uh, We'd uh, a text message uh, then from somebody who says, Michael, this is Jerry in Avon, actually. He says, Michael, the farmers are always 
bloody well complaining. <laughs> uh, they should be holding their heads in shame, especially when they're responsible for methane driving around in seriously big vehicles. The roads are like rally tracks with John Deere tearing up and down the roads. Cut down the herd numbers, says Jerry in Navin. Thanks, Jerry. Uh, you're um, a, a, a person with uh, little sympathy, obviously, for farmers. I think you probably are in the minority, given the weather that we've been having over the last few weeks and the weather that we look set to have for the coming few weeks. The jet stream is in completely the wrong place. And I think the summer could well be over uh, before it started, we did have a lovely June, but before um, uh, there's any chance of it, it coming back, um, we've uh, Kira, uh, who's on uh, the phone uh, with us uh, this morning. Thanks for your call, Kira. She says she can't believe the level of support that Donald Trump still has amongst American people. It's shocking to see, given the riots that he was responsible for following on from the last elections. How can they be so brainwashed? They're like sheep. Also, how on earth is he still allowed to stand for the presidency, when he's facing charges of corruption. Are we really looking at a situation where the leader of the free world could be doing the job from a prison cell? Madness, she says, and well put, Kira. Uh, that idea of the leader of the free world being locked up really is beyond belief. Tommy thinks Trump's level of confidence and self-belief are absolutely frightening. He, he genuinely believes uh, that to think that he is uh, in the right and that he is the victim in all of this, not to mention that he, he thinks he's in with a real shot at becoming president again. Uh, is too much to think about. I, I think Donald Trump stands a, a very good um, chance of becoming the next president of the United States. Well, I wouldn't really know much uh, about it, wouldn't know anything about it, if I'm to be honest. Uh, but listening uh, to the likes of Larry Donnelly and some of uh, the expert commentators, uh, especially when you talk to someone like uh, Larry Donnelly, uh, a lifetime uh, Democrat, uh, you'd have to take it on board because uh, not only has he got that expertise, but I don't think he'd be suggesting that a, a Republican could be the next uh, president, let alone Mr. Trump. Uh, back to the firefighters. Anya in touch with us uh, about this dispute, saying the firefighters should absolutely be given the pay increase that they're looking for. Listening to Fionn describe their lifestyle, the restricted movement when on call, the cancelled family plans, etc., just highlights the level of sacrifice that these men and women make to help keep us, the public, safe, and they should be rewarded for that. In recent weeks, she says, we've heard about people being paid disgustingly large amounts of money for TV and radio gigs, and yet they're uh, able to do that, but we have a situation where people who actually save lives for a living are having to fight tooth and nail for even a tiny pay increase. Actually, on that note, uh, another text from somebody who says, Michael Ryan Tuberty was getting a fortune for his work in RTE. That firefighters can't get a proper wage for uh, in this country. It's a joke. Thank you indeed. If you have been in touch, thanks to everybody who was in touch today. But that's our programme for today and this week. Maggie McGuire Research, Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael and God willing, we'll see you after the long weekend for our next programme on Tuesday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. 
The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.